Well, good morning to each and every one of you. For those of you that have not had a chance to meet, at least from a distance, during the first hour that a number of us were together, let me just say to you now, uh, good morning. Uh, as uh, Jeff said, my name is Eric Bancroft, and I have the privilege to be here with my wife, Danelle Bancroft. She is with me. I encourage you to introduce yourself to her later at lunch as well. Uh, I bring greetings to you from your brothers and sisters in the faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, known as Grace Church in Miami, Florida. Uh, indeed, they are uh, with you this morning in prayer, praying for our assembly together and thankful for the opportunity. Um, I also want to just, speaking of opportunities, say a special word of thanks to Pastor Allen uh, and the elders collectively for the invitation to be with you here this morning. It is a privilege to preach God's word at any place, in any time, in any country. It is particularly a privilege to preach the word at a place like this. A, a faithful church has been that way for decades, especially the last decade under Pastor Allen's leadership. And to be given the opportunity on this special Sunday for Pastor Allen to be returned back as a pastor to his people, coming alongside other faithful brothers, Pastor David and the other faithful elders here being reunited again is a special morning that I feel quite privileged to be a part of. And so I thank you for that opportunity to be with you this morning. Uh, just to let you know how much I love your pastor, we have done ministry together all around the world. Uh, and have had fun memories together. I made a passing reference uh, at the very end of our Q&A session the last time. Your pastor and I have not only been in Russia together, we've been arrested in Russia together. For those of you who are guests this morning, you're like, I'm concerned already about this church. Pastors are bragging about being arrested together. Uh, I'll just bait you with that further need to follow up for more clarity. Uh, the first time I went dove hunting, I think actually the only time I've ever been dove hunting is with your pastor, Alan, who uh, taught me how to shoot at birds. I knew how to shoot guns. I didn't know how to shoot them at birds. And I just have lots of great memories of pastor Alan, his wife, Mindy. Even this past Friday, uh, we were able to enjoy a couple hours together on the boat here uh, in the city, uh, just enjoying the time here in this great place. And Sweet conversations along with the Dharmapal. So just know that my heart is full, not only for your leaders, particularly Pastor Allen, but also just for you as a church. Thankful for the faithfulness that this church has been for years and desires to continue to be in the gospel work here. It is not lost to me the significance of this morning, the reuniting of Pastor, having been gone for 12 weeks and now the opportunity to come back. Ministry is full of joy seeing lives be renewed day by day to the likeness of Christ, being renewed and transformed by the word of Christ as a people together, having their hearts not only mature in the Lord, but also in love for each other. But I would be inaccurate and dishonest if I did not speak to the reality of ministries, not only being at times of great joy, but also of heavy sorrow. And it is with that sort of reality that I want to speak to the fullness of ministry this morning. Some of you are wondering, you know, you sit here week after week being preached to by your pastor. Well, this is your chance to have your pastor be preached to this morning by another. But lest you be tempted to fall asleep and wake up at the end as if I was just having a conversation with your pastor, friends, do not make that mistake. I'll be speaking to you along the way as well. But the reality of ministry being both sorrow and joyful, I'm reminded of what John Newton said 
He described pastoral ministry as a sorrow full of joy. The significance of what it means to recognize the sobering privilege and responsibility of pastoral ministry. And it's to that end that I intend to address your pastor this morning from the Word of God, but also to address you as a people. Because as we have seen throughout history, especially biblical history, it does not matter how great of a leader God gives, it also depends on how well the people respond to that leadership. One only has to look at Moses to see a gifted, godly man called by the Lord who wandered for 40 years because the people would not follow. And it is a responsibility that we have this morning. So to that end, we're going to spend our time together in 1 Timothy, hearing from one pastor speaking to another pastor about pastoring a people like yourself. I would encourage you to open your Bible to 1 Timothy. If you have a Bible, to please do so. And if you do not, as, uh, as Adam said, we'd love to give you make sure that you have a copy of the Scriptures. If this is your first time here at Sunrise, welcome. I speak confidently, as has already been said, just a word of welcome to you. To glad for you to be here this morning, but also to come back and to continue to get to know these people as a people who are not just themselves loving, but also have been loved greatly by Christ. And that explains so much of what you're going to see and experience here this morning. Our lesson this morning comes from 1 Timothy. As we learn from Paul these lessons he wanted to teach Timothy. Now, because we're sort of getting into the text, let me just let you know at the outset what we intend to do. We being me and the mouse in my pocket. We're going to not be in a single verse or a part of a section of verses. We're going to be the entire book of 1 Timothy. Don't worry, you will get lunch. Though it might be called dinner by that time. No, we won't do that to you. But we want to be in all of 1 Timothy to do that because we want to see the nature of pastoral ministry. Now, to just recognize the context of this, this is significant because Paul is teaching another pastor, Timothy, an understudy of his, the significance of pastoring a church that needs to be reminded of their responsibility to the Lord and to one another. It's with that in mind that I offer you these five lessons today to both your pastor, Alan, and to you. And so, Alan, I mean to address you, brother. Number one lesson we turn to in 1 Timothy chapter 1 is to protect your people. Protect your people. I say this because if you'll direct your attention to 1 Timothy, it's, it's a bit so- shocking, sober-mindedly so, to look at 1 Timothy after Paul gets through his customary greeting of verses 1 and 2, his name, who he is, who he's writing to. He gets right into verse 3. Look at what he says in verse 3 and 4. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God, that is, by faith. It's significant to see even as how Paul continues, even if you'll jump down to the very end of chapter 1, how he speaks about the significance of this. And he says in verse 18, this I charge and trust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that them by them you may wage a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. How? By rejecting this. Some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. 
There is a pastoral duty that every pastor has to protect his people from false doctrine. That doesn't introduce or advertise itself accordingly. False doctrine here. May I have your attention, please? It comes in under the banner of novelty and theological curiosity and continued biblical exploration under the spirit of seemingly the virtue of humility. Do we actually know? Is there not a place to yet discover more? Paul is sober-minded as he addresses this to Timothy. You have to understand something. Timothy is being sent to a church that Paul himself at one point had planted and pastored, the church at Ephesus. I say this because we might be tempted to think good churches don't go bad once they're good. Friends, nothing can be further from the truth of Scripture and the historical tragic examples we see. It is the charge of your pastor to continue to herald, to continue to proclaim, to continue to trust and to protect the word of God for the people of God that they might be protected and to do so with an understanding sober-mindedly of what's calling them to otherwise think differently. For you, Pastor Allen, you come back to the pulpit with the responsibility not to just sort of teach general lessons, to be helping people maybe grow in areas of biblical illiteracy, but to be aware of what is sound and refuting what is false. Something that Paul picked up on later on in 1 Timothy chapter 3 to all the elders. It is important that you understand as a people, a good pastor is not one who just simply teaches what's sound, but also with compassion and courage and great conviction protects you and points out to you what is false. To have a pastor to tell you not just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And that's what Paul is sort of laying at the feet of Timothy by way of a charge of responsibility that he wants to show him. You think about what a staggering contrast this is to many churches today. You would have to be in many churches for a long time, if not your entire lifetime, to hear about something like false doctrine, as if this is somehow some old historic problem, maybe back in the days of the Reformation, or maybe back in the days of the early church fathers, or maybe back in the days of the early pages of the New Testament. But today, well, thanks to good seminaries and good publishing companies and, you know, good-hearted pastors, this is not a problem here. And that's not true at all. Just recently myself, I was reminded of the need for this. We, as a young church plant, have just merged with an existing church of 73 years of age. A sweet group of people, totaling of about 15 of them, have come over to be a part of our church as we've merged together. Got a lot of sweet saints that are part of this assembly. And one false teacher in the mix. Like, well, I mean, do you really mean false teacher? That could just be a bit of a, you know, dramatic term. No, I, I mean to say false teacher. I mean to say somebody who is purposely wandering around the, the pews of our church assembly teaching Christian universalism. What's Christian universalism? Well, it's basically universalism Christianized. Basically, this idea that all people around the world throughout time will eventually be in heaven together because Christ died for all believing that there is no such thing as the doctrine of hell. Hell is just some 
over-representative of God, just sort of, just sort of, you know, punishing people, but not eternally, just sort of purifying their relationship with Him. This is sort of the care package I've received as a pastor of this church merging with us, and how we've had to address that very early on. Friends, you would be wrong to think, not suspiciously, but soberly, that you need to somehow not be thinking about false teaching. It is your pastor's responsibility to be in the Word, pastoring from the Word, protecting people from aberrant theology that will mean to at best distract you, at worst damn you to another gospel, as Paul says himself to the church in Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So we want to see your pastor protect the people. Secondly, we want your pastor to pray for people. We want Pastor Allen to be known as a pastor of prayer, where he is interacting with you not only in person, but interacting with you on behalf of you in petition praying for you in your stage of life, praying for you as a single person, as a married person. And we continue to see sort of the portfolio of Paul as he teaches his young disciple, Timothy, in this. So you go to chapter two, how it begins in chapter two. First of all, then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. That is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. Going on later to verse 8, he says, I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. You know, the truth be told from one pastor to another, one pastor to a bunch of other people that I'm not responsible for to the Lord for, praying seemingly is unproductive. It's principally right. But spending time studying the Word of God to write a sermon, that has something to show for itself. Spending time with you, perhaps over a meal or in the office, counseling you, discipling you. Spending time visiting you when a season of difficulty, sickness, firsthand or secondhand, someone you're connected to, related to, married to, a parent of, child of. That seems profitable. Prayer seems rather abstract. I mean, it's seemingly right, but I mean, after all, what would I tell God that he doesn't already know? What am I going to tell God that he's not going to do anyway? So prayer seemingly is something that seems, well, okay, but really necessary. If you think that way, you would perhaps be tempted to think like a lot of pastors are tempted to think. One of the greatest gifts your pastor can give you is to be a man who's not always with you in person. So being away from you, he can be before the throne of God praying and petitioning on behalf of you as a person. May I remind you, for those of you who are familiar with the Scriptures, others of you perhaps new to the Bible, it was in Acts chapter 6 where this problem is brought to the apostles. We have a legitimate kind of a racial issue of Greek widows and Jewish widows being discriminated against in a kind of an inappropriate way. Benevolence is not being distributed carefully. It is a pressing matter that's potentially going to divide the new church. 
and a surprising turn of events. What do the apostles say? Essentially, this is a problem. Here's the kind of people you should look for to address this problem. It's not right that we neglect the word and prayer. Alan, I mean to commend you freshly back to your people, not just being present, but in prayer. That you would be known for having the people's hearts on your heart by how you, perhaps without them even knowing, have them so regularly on the tip of your tongue petitioning on behalf of them before the Lord. In the same way that you would your own literal children, so you would as a pastor your spiritual children. The people that you have to give an account to God for. It is our practice at Grace Church that in addition to our member directory that we have, that we have 31 days of prayer requests for our church and all of our members are spread throughout the 31 days that we might pray for such people, encouraging them to pray for each other. But of all people who should be known for that, it should be pastors. But notice, if you will, in the text, the range of how Paul commends Timothy to pray. In the particular text in which he's speaking about, he speaks about prayers for all people, and then he kind of expands our perspective. Verse 2, kings and all who are in high positions. It's so easy to be a part of partisan politics today. Different candidates with different platforms, different positions on economics and other things. You want to have a pastor who prays for the leaders that God has sovereignly, according to Romans 13, appointed over you out of care for them, for their marriages, for their counsel, for their decisions, and sort of teaching you even by listening to your pastor's prayer how to think of a kingdom not of this world, yet being aware as citizens of this world how to love your neighbors well, but even praying for the leaders of those neighbors. So your pastor is only praying for you as a people. He's praying for the leaders of which you and I sit under in God's sovereign hand of the citizens that we are a part of and how that is a reality. John Smith wrote, prayer is the life and soul of the sacred function. Without it, we can expect no success in our ministry. Without it, our best instructions are barren and most painful labors idle. A minister who is not a man of piety and prayer, whatsoever his other talents may be, cannot be called a servant of God. third lesson that we should learn here from Paul to Timothy, lesson for pastor and the people, is that he should be training up other godly leaders. There is a functional humility seen in pastoral leadership that conducts himself different than perhaps most corporations and or perhaps military deployments in which you find yourself in for some of you. And that is the reality that the buck does not stop with Pastor Allen. We're reminded by Peter that there is one chief shepherd, to use modern-day vernacular, there is one true senior pastor, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And under him, as he raises up, Acts 20, 28, elders to whom have to give an account, leaders. Certainly there is a delegated responsibility that Pastor Allen has by the primary teaching that he provides on behalf of the elders collectively, and by delegated authority, some of the decisions that need to be made that he will be entrusted with. But it is a responsibility that Timothy has to be taught 
Timothy, when you go to back to Ephesus, don't teach them the Savior Timothy has arrived. And in fact, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. What does he say here? He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This expectation of Paul to Timothy is no different than today. Pastors are not intended to be local CEOs of little miniature fiefdoms, little miniature corporations of which instead of being for-profit, they're non-profit. We have seen many two examples of that over the years where it comes at the expense of the neglect of wisdom God's given to other godly men, an accelerated likelihood of burnout for one man, and a mistaken reframing of what does it look like for the church to be equipped with gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. What we see here in the text is the reminder of the priority that ministry is more than preaching and programs. It includes a sincere love for people and a desire to see them grow. And including in that is the responsibility to recognize and to pour into both current and future leaders. I thank God that God has given Sunrise over the years faithful men who even prior to Pastor Allen and now alongside Pastor Allen have been faithfully leading here many of which have served in marketplace, honestly, as commendable examples that a lot of you can perhaps more easily identify and relate to. I think you get my life because you're trying to do this thing in the marketplace and our military while at the same time serving in the church. And that just felt untenable. Like, I really appreciate Pastor David or Pastor Allen, but honestly, I just kind of feel like that's just like a whole other level. What we see here in the text is that Timothy is to recognize and to raise up such godly men. Now, here's why this gets sort of humbling. Again, to remember the context, this is a church that Paul had pastored. So presumably, there were leaders previously present that are no longer qualified. Timothy has to raise up new leaders. Now, I do not mean to create an air of suspicion in the room. Oh, who is the disqualified elder here? This should be replaced by no means. But there should be this perpetual desire as the fruit of discipleship overall in a church as God is raising up so a congregation is recognizing other gifted godly men whom not upon becoming an elder by name but having already established it by reputation and practice are being recognized for what God has already done in their life. Pastor Allen, you want in humility to recognize the giftedness as you have with other men here. And the the gift that they are to you, that you don't have to shoulder the burden of this local church under your own. How that strengthens the church, because the reality is, even amongst the plurality of leaders, if you're not careful, it'll be so easy for so many of these people here to simply vicariously live through your guys' Christianity. 
And yet in Ephesians 4, it says that your responsibility is to equip the saints for them to be doing the work of the ministry. So you continue to turn over that ministry. The truth is it's slower that way. And it takes directions you would not have expected, some of which you don't necessarily prefer. But in the long run, it raises up a godlier church. If God forbid you were to die tomorrow, may not be, he's just getting back. Their church would be well-placed. That when the time the Lord had you serve, you serve faithfully and true. Not just you, but to other men. But not just other men, but that example of discipleship was replicated over and over in these men and women's lives. In the spirit of Paul to another reader, Titus, a church plant in the island of Crete. Brand new group of Christians. Brand new churches being formed around the island, yet saying the same principal thing. Older men, Invest in the younger men. Older women, invest in young women. So here's a quick point of application for you. How does your calendar, yours, sir, and all of you men and women, how does your calendar indicate to us what your priorities are with the practice of discipleship? Being invested in or investing in others? I heard a podcast recently of a pastor describing the simplest of understanding of being a Christian. That if somebody self-identifies a Christian, but then did not have in any meaningful way a desire to follow Christ, not perfectly, but over on the direction, nor to take responsibility to help anybody else want to follow Christ, the pastor said, I don't know what you mean by the term Christian then. I think we mean something totally different. And I beg to say, this is what the scripture actually means. So this is not simply a professional expression of Pastor Allen as a point of biblical job description, what faithful elders do. It's a normative example by which we would say every characteristic of an elder here in 1 Timothy 3 is actually commended to every Christian, albeit one, and that is being able to teach. So there's a surprising normalcy to the reality of how he spends his time as a way for others to not only benefit from, but to go and do likewise. That would be you, friend. As Paul would later tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Our fourth lesson that Paul teaches Timothy, don't forget why you pastor. Don't forget why you pastor. Now, the reality is ministry is filled with joy-inducing opportunities to serve others and to see them grow in Christ. It's also filled with heartbreaking moments that you have heard others have gone through and you have gone through yourself as well. Look at 1 Timothy chapter four. Look at what he says in verse one. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. We're back to that sober-minded reality here. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. The significance here is to recognize as pastoral ministry, it is not necessarily what you see and or can guarantee will happen because of the expression of Alan's faithful pastoring. It is certainly an audit as to why you pastor. When you pastor as long as you have, my friend, to see some will continue to walk well and others will walk away. And if by their presence you find your identity and affirmation, 
that will certainly be exposed over time that you're finding that to be an idol in your life. If I can speak honestly, perhaps on behalf of Pastor Allen, but at least on behalf of myself and a lot of other pastors, pastors can be a profoundly insecure group of people. Finding our identity by temptation and our, as we would like to say, butts, buildings, and budgets. How many people are present? What's the size of our buildings? And how big is our budget? And as long as I can find somebody who's got less than I do, I feel good about what I'm doing. As if an affirmation, God loves me and has well, given me as a gift to all of you people. But what happens when this idolatry of identity gets exposed by some walking away? Faithful disciples walking away. Were you seeing ministry being done in such a way that it was guaranteeing their response? Well, for your pastor to be reminded of this, it's the recognition that honestly in ministry, outside of perhaps a lot of your own personal knowledge, discouragement is like an uninvited guest sitting on the front porch of your house. It's there uninvited and always waiting to come in the door of your house. In the moment your pastor leaves that door open, discouragement will come in and reside and stay as long as it can as an uninvited guest. As Paul is talking to Timothy here, he wants him to recognize what is it that drives him. Well, look, if you will, continuing in chapter four, down to verse six. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, there's sort of everything created by God is good, nothing to be rejected, Put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. The reality is, is it enough to serve the Lord and that be good enough for you? Regardless of how well you're commended or recommended, no matter how much people are present or absent, listening and appreciating or criticizing and complaining, walking by faith or perhaps by tragedy walking away from the faith? Is it enough for you to be a good servant of Christ Jesus? Friends, you want a pastor who both appreciates and values interaction and dialogue with you, but in one sense is sort of looking over your shoulder because their ministry is as unto the Lord. I'm reminded of what Paul says to wives, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Speaks a disorienting word, especially in today's modern sensibilities of our ears. He says to these wives, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. It's really this woman's ability to kind of look beyond the humanity of her husband. At times encouraging and endearing, at times discouraging and disgruntling, to say, I will follow you unto the Lord. For a pastor in a similar way, to say, I, I want to faithfully proclaim and preach and pastor and shepherd, but ultimately, this is not ultimately for you. This is me and my life being an offering unto the Lord. I want to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And what that means for your pastor to not forget why he pastors. As 
the reality is ministry over time, and your pastor knows this certainly by now, ministry has its afflictions. And those afflictions are good because of what they produce in us. That's not unique to pastors. That's common to all people. As one Puritan said, God has only one son without sin, but none without affliction. And when the Lord would have that be even in your ministry, Pastor Allen, for you to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. As John Bunyan said, God's people are like bells. The harder they are hit, the better they sound. So what does it mean for you to suffer well as a pastor? And the truth be told, if I can just sort of have a moment with your pastor privately and yet publicly, I know what you know. I know that most ministry happens outside the eye of these people who even the ones who love you dearly and are very thankful for you don't realize sometimes the challenges that you face. Not just challenges personally, but challenges pastorally. Things you would long to see but have not yet seen. And not just maybe collectively as a church, but even individually as a pastor in certain individuals' lives. People have been disappointing to you. have slandered you. Who have left here misrepresenting you. And all of that experience, you taste the bitterness of affliction. Not because you're a sinless saint. No, you're not. But because you are a loved, adopted son of your heavenly father who is working out the same thing in you, he's working on all these other people. Christ-likeness. It is only in the sort of halls of that adversity that Christ performs in us what otherwise would not be found in us. And ironically, it makes you a better pastor. You wouldn't want the suffering. You wouldn't want the rejection, discouragement. But yet, through the laced lining of that reality is a maturity and godliness. And most of them will never know where that came from, but the benefit from it. A man who has led them not simply by the passage that he preaches, but by the life he leads. Though most of them will never know the details of how you arrived at those conclusions. That is faithful pastoring. Looking back to our text, remaining time here, come to our fifth and final. For those of you taking notes, protecting your people, praying for the people, training up other godly leaders for not forgetting why you pastor. And fifth and final for you, Pastor Allen, fight well so you can rest well. Fight well so you can rest well. After Paul in chapter six writes about false teachers again, he seems like he can't get off of this topic. And again, and talking about the love of money bringing ruin upon people's lives, he calls Timothy in verse 11 of chapter six, flee these things. And in verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. He would later say in verse 20, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. I want to just have a word, if I can, with some of you that are perhaps here, having perhaps been here for many years, perhaps been here for many Sundays, or maybe this is your first Sunday. You're essentially listening in on a family conversation that I want to explain. When the Word of God says to guard this deposit entrusted to you, that's not just the overall, as Peter says, the oracles of God. 
as Jude says, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, it sits at the very foundation as the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I want to be very clear, lest it perhaps be missed by anybody here. There are no pastor and people apart from Jesus Christ, the crucified and resurrected Savior. The challenge for you this morning is not to appreciate pastoral ministry or to know your role as a member of this church and how to participate meaningfully. Perhaps the challenge for you is to identify, do you actually understand the gospel? Not as a world religion identification, I am a Christian and that I'm not something else, but actually I am somebody who has come to understand I am a sinner, separated from God, unable to cross that chasm because of his holiness and my sinfulness. And it is only through the substitute work of Jesus, the Son of God, that I have any hope of being accepted by that God. And I put my faith and in faith alone in him alone for the forgiveness of my sins that I would ever be accepted. You see, the challenge for pastors is to make sure that message is clear. The challenge for me this morning would be to have this conversation with him, but not make that conversation clear to you. Children, teenagers, young and old adults, first-time visitors or lifelong attenders, can you say with certainty, and I hope in humility, I am who I am by the grace of God, a forgiven sinner, now declared a saint, and I have confidence, not in my morality or my family identity or my religious association. I have confidence in Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins. If not, then I, I charge you, I challenge you, even now as I speak to your pastor and to these people, give yourself to Christ and find in him a physician who heals, the sick who know that they need a doctor. For you, Pastor Allen, he speaks, Paul, to Timothy, guarding this deposit entrusted to you, how important it is that you guard this deposit entrusted to you. These people are a gift from the Lord. This word is a gift from the Lord. And the Son of God is a gift from the Lord for you to proclaim. I've titled this message title, The Man, the Ministry, and the Message. It's not uncommon to have men in ministry over time forget the message. Paul didn't want the people to forget the message, and he didn't want to forgive himself. He summarized in 1 Corinthians, preaching Christ and him crucified. May you be forever known by these people as a fool for Christ. Guarding that deposit entrusted to you, heralding that word given to you, that you would be a man known by your wife privately, your children privately, and by these people publicly and at times privately as somebody who maybe varies in opinions on all kinds of other matters. But as to the matters of Christ, you are clear. That conviction and that courage is seen. You love the risen Savior. And you are glad for here and forevermore to be a pastor on the record both in sermon and in conversation, to be committed to that message. And these people would say, thanks be to God for not just the men God's given us who are leading us as elders, but particularly our pastor, Alan, how he's such a standard by which others of us can see in the word 
as where it comes from, but seeing his life, how it's worked out in practice. Reminded of what Habakkuk says. Why do we do this? We do this, as Habakkuk 2.14 says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Until that day comes, my friend, or until the day that the Lord calls you and I home, may you and I and other sinners saved by grace been given the humbling responsibility to pastor people as under shepherds at best, clay pots. May we do that faithfully for their good, for your good, but most importantly, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's with that in mind, I want to ask Adam if he would come up on behalf of the elders in the church here to pray for Pastor Allen and his family as we transition him back here to the preaching of the ministry. Stan Elf, please convey our appreciation to your congregation for sharing you with us this morning. I know it means a lot to Alan and the Kegels, and it means a lot to us that you would be here and deliver the right message from the right man. So thank you. Um, goodness. What to say? What to say? You know, it's a privilege to try to serve this congregation. I know I speak for all the elders. Uh, as an elder, uh, on one hand, you know, you get to be a part of moments like these, but the downside is you have to be a part of moments like these and try to find the words to say on your behalf. Um, I'll just start by reminding everybody that it was back in 2019 that Brandon and I had breakfast together uh, to talk about Alan and to talk about how to be good stewards of his life and career. You know, Alan's not a complainer. He's not somebody who, uh, who he's a very content individual, content with his ministry, with his family and his friends. Uh, but we didn't want to take that for granted. And we know that as you live and grow and your things change, that sometimes things in your heart change. And we wondered, what can we do for Alan to make sure that he is able to grow and expand his horizons and also to spend time with his family as his children grow older? Uh, we, we cared about him, and we still do. We wanted to find opportunities for him to grow and also to show he, him and Mindy our gratefulness for their faithfulness to us and their loyalty to us and their steadfastness to them and to Kate and Jacob and Karis as well. We brought this idea of a sabbatical to the other elders. They immediately agreed with the idea. And then after some extensive planning and discussions with Alan, we brought it to you, as you recall. You unanimously voted for this. You voted to fund all of this, and you did fund all of this, praise the Lord, wholeheartedly. Um, now, I gather for the Cagle family, the sabbatical has had the desired effect. I, I read the email that, that, that Alan sent out, and we're going to be hearing more in the coming weeks and months about all they've done and the rest that they've had and the fellowship that they've had. And we're going to hear about the adventures and the personal development and the writing and the prayers uh, and all of that. 
and I look forward to that, but I also wanted to say something to you as a congregation this morning. Uh, one thing I didn't fully anticipate uh, was how you as a congregation would embrace this whole idea and step up and step in in so many ways to this whole process. I mentioned you agreed unanimously to fund the sabbatical. You funded it. All through the summer, you have conducted yourselves with maturity and patience and, and kindness to, 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 to the leaders here who, uh, who have uh, been doing extra duties. Uh, you've continued to attend all through the summer. You've continued to give all through the summer. The ladies' Bible study is as vibrant as ever. In ESL classes are, are packed, from what I can tell. The men's studies keep thriving without missing a beat. Home groups are thriving. We've even had some new people come to this church and, and start to make their home here who have never even met Alan, our senior pastor. I could make a joke there, but I won't do that. <laughs> so this whole process has brought to life some certain scriptures that I just wanted to share. You know, Eric hit so many of these notes this morning, but I wanted to share a verse that's been on my heart, Ephesians 4. 11 through 16, this is Paul encouraging the church at Ephesus. It says, And he, that's Christ, gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. It's just, it's beautiful to see what, what, what has happened in this congregation this summer how God has provided teaching and counsel to us and shepherding and grown, it's, is growing us up into maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Don't you feel that this summer? That, that God has, has led us to a place where we're building each other, we're building ourselves up. It's all by his power, it's all by his spirit, but there's a there's a... There's a power in unity here that he has provided, and we're being built up in that, and it's an awesome feeling. I also think of Hebrews 13, 17, regarding the relationship between the congregation and its elders. The author there says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. But here's the part that's coming to my mind. Let them do this with joy, and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What a joy it is to be an elder here and a deacon here, 
to serve a congregation like you. I think God has used this time to strengthen us as a church family and to bring us together in a special way. So first, I want to recognize you, the congregation, for your patience, your maturity, your generosity this summer. Thank you for that. And praise the Lord for that. Of course, we also need to recognize and thank David and Leslie for all of they all they have done without them. I mean, without without David and Leslie, there there is there's probably no sabbatical. Uh, David, uh, of course, took. Uh, well, first of all, David, your preaching was excellent. David took the burden of preaching and preached the gospel to us in a powerful way. It was excellent. It was edifying. Uh, David took the youth to camp. He continued leading the music team. He continued counseling, uh, which is a time-consuming ministry, and he generally stepped up to all the day-to-day leadership uh, activities without missing a beat. So thank you, Pastor Champagne. Leslie, of course, organized another wonderful VBS this summer, which is no easy task. Uh, She also did not miss a beat in her coordination of all the children's ministries, all the general administration of the whole office. So with her sitting in the command center uh, day in and day out, we know we can be confident we're not going to miss any important issues. I don't think Leslie's in here, but thank you, Leslie. You know, by serving us so well, you do serve, as, as Eric said, you're, you're serving the Lord, and I know you know that, but uh, we also appreciate that true brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ and the, the sacrifices you've made and the work you've done this summer. So lastly, I want to welcome back the Cagle family, which is why we're here <laughs> this moment. Some, somehow we need to orchestrate a peaceful transition of power. Uh, back to back to the way it was. I would like. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to ask Alan to come forward and stand here, and just so he's not there all alone. That's kind of awkward. Would all the elders come up and gather around him? Eric, you you also, as an elder of a Bible believing church, like minded, y'all could just come up and gather. You can get closer. You know, one thing I missed about Alan was the hugs. Uh, you guys. <laughs> Don't you get in there tight. You know, he loves that. (laughs) You know, they say uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I'm not sure really that we could be any more fond of the Kegels. I don't, honestly don't think I am more fond of the Kegel family since they've left. Uh, I just, and I think I speak for all of us, we just missed you guys. Uh, and you know, yeah. I really am trying to think about what the message is. It really boils down to that because... Just like Eric taught, you know, Alan, you've shepherded us, shepherded us and led us so well. Um, I feel like, to your credit, yeah, we can do this without you. <laughs> but the simple fact is we just don't want to. 
We don't want to do it without the Cagle family. So now, Alan, uh, we as a congregation are officially calling you back to duty. David, you can hand the keys uh, back to the pastor. Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in. All right, let's get serious now. Hands on the pastor. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we gather with joyful hearts to welcome the Kegels home again. We ask that you to grant them rest and peace and togetherness during their time away, and you did. We ask you to protect them and us, and you did. We ask you to watch over sunrise and to strengthen us through this process, and you did. We prayed for David and Leslie that they would be able to handle their additional duties, and you gave them strength. And we ask you to reunite us again in joy and sweet fellowship, and you have. And so we thank you and praise you, our great and faithful Father, for this special day and for providing for us more even than we have needed. And now we ask you to fill Alan with your spirit, strengthen him for the continued work of ministry here at Sunrise, Give him your joy, your contentment, your love, your assurance, your desires, your wisdom, your mind, your grace, and your peace. And grant us all continued unity and fellowship and fruit, rooting us firmly in the authority of your word, that we may be like a tree planted by rivers of water, bearing fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And we ask these things, O great Father, and offer these thanks in the awesome name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Savior. Amen. Wow, what a day. (laughs) Well, it's a little bit dangerous giving a guy that hasn't preached for 14 weeks (laughs) the mic at the end of the service with food outside, so I'll keep it it short and sweet. Uh, Thank you so much. That's just really the heart of what I wanted to say today is thank you to the congregation, to the Lord. Thanks to Eric for Grace Church Miami lending you uh, today, to David for all he did, Jeff and Adam and others who have filled the pulpit, it's been, uh, it's been so refreshing and so encouraging. There's so much I want to tell you about um, that we'll have to wait for another day. Also, just wanted to say a word. I do see some new unfamiliar faces out there. Welcome. It's good to meet you um, unofficially from a distance um, right now. You always pray when things like this happen. You know, I remember months ago, you're kind of thinking, I want it to go well because I want something to come back to. Um, but you don't want it to go too well. Because then what does that say? It does seem like it's gone well, and I just give thanks to the Lord uh, for that, and I give thanks to the Lord for you, all all credit and glory uh, to him uh, today. So what a day uh, to be a part of the Lord's church. If you are visiting here with us today, and maybe some of this just doesn't make a lot of sense, and it might have a bit of an award show feel as we're congratulating and clapping and things like that, 
I just, I just want to appeal to you, as Eric did at the end of his message today, is this is a Christian community, and we have something in common. As Second Peter 1 talks about, we have a faith of the same type. And if you don't know what type of faith that is, the Jesus that we believe in, what it means to be a follower of Christ, the thing that unites us together, and the reason you see all of us grown men standing at the front, half teary-eyed and hugging each other, it's because we share a connection and a unity, and it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we believe. We believe a message about Christ. We believe that it's a message of salvation. It's a message of forgiveness. And it's a message that draws us into community together. So if you're visiting here with us today, I will admit it's a little bit of an unusual day uh, for you to drop in on us, but that's why this is the way that it is, is because of this connection that we have in the gospel of Christ. This is a Christian church, and we are connected in that way. Well, I'm already doing what I said I wasn't going to do. So with that, um, we, will, uh, we, will, we will put a, put a pin there and have much more to say um, in the coming days. I do have just a couple of uh, practical things. They give me a list of assignments as my first uh, duties back. Um, a couple of announcements. We are going to turn the room around for lunch, so if you're signed up for lunch, we hope that you'll hang out. Um, I was told to tell you, you either need to help, we have some team leaders helping, or you need to get out, all right? <laughs> so there you go, cashing a little capital with you uh, that I've stored up, hopefully. Um, so we're going to turn the room around. If you would, just clear your things out. If you want to take it to the car, visit on the patio um, out front, that would be uh, fantastic. We have some team leaders in here. If you want to jump in and help move chairs and tables, um, we will have lunch in just a moment. And also wanted to recognize Connor and Amy Sherman today. It's their last Sunday with us. Um, raise your hands, guys. I want... Did you, did you have time to work on that song you were going to do? Okay. Okay, so they are, uh, they're being stationed in Hawaii next, and we always say that the, the, Navy, uh, the Navy gives and the Navy takes away, so we are, we are glad that we have had this time together uh, with you guys, and we'll be praying for you as you transition and move uh, down to Hawaii. Well, our closing benediction will be on the screen, um, and let's all stand and let's say this together as we are dismissed today. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless. You are dismissed.